warm breeze in May always feels like the world letting out a big sigh of relief having made it through the long, dark winter. Welcome to the Nature of Phenology, where we share the cycles and seasons of the outdoors. I'm your host, Hazel Stark, and this episode was written by Joe Horn. Growing up with a somewhat hyperactive older brother and a mom who makes a can-do attitude a team sport meant a few things for my childhood. For one, we had an endless supply of lovingly hand-sewn clothing and endless supply of fresh-baked bread on hand. For another, my brother bouncing off the walls led my mom to discover a certain diet that eliminated all artificial food additives like dyes, corn syrup, and preservatives, as well as certain natural foods that had mysterious compounds that turned my otherwise focused brother into Winnie the Pooh's best friend, Tigger. It was an odd diet, but effective. Tomatoes were out, but beets were in. We couldn't have grapes, but kiwis were great. Apples were sadly a no-go, but pears were fine. This diet confounded most of our school peers and our teachers, but worked for us. One of the most memorable food substitutes was for jelly. While most jellies contained berries, cherries, grapes, or apples, all forbidden, my mom instead would crank out pint after pint of pomegranate and pear jellies for our PB&Js or toast. When I got old enough, she taught me how to make jellies and jams, and when I was even older, I started making my own, but with whatever fruits I desire. This time of year, with the whole world abuzz with bees pollinating fruit trees, I pay particular attention to the blossoms of our native wild cherries as a hint of my jam-making future. We have several species of wild cherries in Maine, but I most often see black, fire, and choke cherries. Of these three species, black cherries, Prunus serotina, and choke cherries, Prunus virginiana, are perhaps the most useful for making jams and jellies due to their abundant masts of cherries when conditions are right. Of the two, it is the choke cherry that reigns supreme, in my opinion, for the tree's short stature, which facilitates easier picking. Like so many members of the rose family, these wild cherries carry similar small white flowers in long clusters. Each individual flower has five petals that are rather open and fluttery. These separate petals, paired with the abundance of pollen-laden stamens, give the overall appearance of the flowers being delicate and speckled. And the perfume from these lovely trees? Simply divine. Subtle enough to easily be missed, but strong enough that on a gentle warm May breeze you will catch the odd whiff which will instantly make you close your eyes, raise your nose to the air, breathe deeply, and smile. But those blossoms are but a harbinger of a good jelly-making season. When the cherry trees are loaded with blossoms and are humming with the incalculable wingbeats of bees, both native and domestic, I get excited. Being on that special diet as a kid also meant no cherries and no cherry jam. So while I was completely spoiled by pear and pomegranate jellies, things you can only find in my mom's kitchen or in specialty stores, I had never tasted cherry jam until I was an adult but these days it is one of my favorites. To make wild cherry jelly when they ripen later in the summer, I use the recipe for sour cherry jelly that comes in the packets of powdered pectin you get in the supermarket. I make one modification, however. The recipe calls for simmering the cherries in a bit of water until they pop and then straining the liquid out and discarding the spent fruits and seeds. Instead, I pass the fruit and juice through a food mill. The resulting jelly juice is thick, pulpy, and rich with the sour astringency and delicate charm of wild cherries. The jam made from this concoction is perfection in a jar. 
Smeared on buttered toast in January, it is a welcome reminder of warm, lazy days with flowers and fruits perfuming the air. So this weekend, you can strike out in search of your very own cherry thicket. Be sure to bring a field guide like Newcomb's Flower Guide or Peterson's Trees and Shrubs so that you can correctly identify cherry trees amid all the other flowering trees that dot our spring landscape. When you do find a good patch with abundant flowers, take note of that location so that you can return later in the season to collect a pile of cherries for jelly and jam to share with your family and friends. Nothing says I love you like a jar of homemade jam. You can download this episode and find a link to the transcript, photos, information about podcasting, and more by visiting archives.weru.org. You can also submit seasonal sayings or observations, or ask us a nature question you want us to answer on the show. Thanks for listening, and please join us next week for another dive into the nature of phonology.